to turn before Seem I don't know where to start But it's now that I feel Grace for our grace From every fingertip Washing away my pain As I still believe Your faithfulness And I still believe Your truth And I still believe your holy word, yeah. And even when I don't see, I still believe. And though the questions they fog up my mind. But promises still seem to bear And even when answers are slowly unwind It's my heart to see you prepare But it's now that I feel Grace fall like rain From every fingertip Washing away my pain Cause I still believe Your faithfulness And I still believe Your truth I still believe your holy word And even when I don't see I still believe The only place I can go is in your arms Where I throw to you my feeble plans This is your will for me Help me know You are near Cause I still believe Your faithfulness And I still believe Your truth And I still believe your holy word, yeah. And even when I don't see, I still believe. I still believe. I still believe. I still believe. 
worship your holy name bless the lord bless the lord oh my soul oh oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul worship your holy Worship your holy name. Worship your holy name. Father God, we just lift this time to you. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for who you are and for what you've done for us, God. And we just ask, Lord, that you meet us here. Even as you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord God. As we open your word, Father, may we ingest your word. May we make it a part of our life. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That you reveal to your people what you have for us this evening, God, as we seek to honor you in everything we do. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if you guys have your Bibles with you tonight, why don't you uh, open up to Jeremiah chapter 44. It's interesting, we have 52 chapters, I think, in Jeremiah. Mine serves me right. It doesn't always. But chapter 44 is the last prophecy God ever gives Jeremiah. And... uh, It's at the end of a long life of ministry. Some say upwards of 60 years that Jeremiah spent ministering to God's people throughout the book. And his primary message to them over and over and over again was judgment, 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 judgment. Sometimes when we read Jeremiah, we get tired often of hearing all this judgment from God. But what we tend to forget is is that judgment befalls the sin. See, they were so caught up in their own sin, and their own desires. Ultimately, they say, we're not going to do what God says. We are going to choose to do our own thing. There was even a remnant. You'll remember, the children of Israel are there in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah begins bringing his prophecies. And he says, God has ordained that you're going into captivity. You're going to be slaves for the rest of your life. 
That's, that's God's judgment. It's God's plan for your life. And they didn't like God's plan. So God said, well, if you want, you can fight. But if you fight, you're all going to die. He begged through the prophet Jeremiah, please, just lay down your sword. Just give up and allow me to work in your life. But, but they would not. And they fought. And they died. And then at the end of the destruction and all the chaos that happens, there's a remnant, a small group. A small group that's still alive. And they go to Jeremiah. And they go to Jeremiah the prophet. And they say, Jeremiah, we just want to go where God tells us to go. We want to do what God tells us to do. We talked about it last week. Or two weeks ago. <laughs> Three weeks? Whatever. And who's counting? And when, when Jeremiah talks to him, we look at it and we think, oh, finally, there's a group of people that want to do what God wants to do. Oh. I want you to hold that thought for a minute and go back to Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29, God said to those who were going into captivity, who were captured, who were in chains, who were being drugged into slavery. He said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. They think, those people think, our life is over and we have nothing to live for, and we're going to be slaves, and we don't get to make choices for ourselves anymore, and life is going to be terrible. But in reality, every one of those people who went to Babylon had a blessed life. They had homes and families. They were able to live until the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when God would bring them out of Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem. The very thing that God would use as a sign of the coming of the Messiah, the start point. Those were the remnant. Those were the ones who, through their captivity, learned to submit and commit themselves to God. Those were the ones who gave themselves more completely to Him. Now we fast forward again to that group gathered together. Jeremiah, tell us, we'll do whatever God says. And you remember the word that Jeremiah gave him. Jeremiah says, you're lying. You've already decided in your hearts you're going to Egypt. You're going to go to Egypt. And Jeremiah said this, if you go to Egypt, you're going to die to the last man. And they said, Jeremiah, you're a liar. That's not really what God said. So they went to Egypt. But in Jeremiah, we see the heart of a prophet who loves God's people. Jeremiah went with them. You remember Jeremiah's prophecy? If you go to Egypt, what? You're going to die to the last man. Jeremiah is going to be stoned in Egypt by the people, the Jews, who at one time asked him to tell them God's will for their life. And when he told them, they didn't like it. In chapter 44, we see Jeremiah in Egypt. Last prophecy God gives him. Now, 
We still have more chapters. Those are other prophecies that happened earlier. The book of Jeremiah is not given to us in, in sequential order. Uh, it's given to us in prophetic order, but which we'll go over in a little while or probably next week when we talk about it. But this is the last prophecy of his life. The last word that Jeremiah has for the children of Israel, his final opportunity to tell that remnant who's in Egypt now anything that God wants to do in their life, if they're willing to hear, if they're willing to listen. The book of Romans says, all day long the Lord lifts out his hands to a disobedient, obstinate people. All day long he lifts them. All day long, the opportunity for salvation is there. All that's necessary to receive that work of God in your life is to simply reach out our hands and take His. All that's, that's left for us to reject that salvation is to slap away the hand of God and say, I'll save myself. But everybody's going to make one of those two choices. Jeremiah, as he comes before the people in chapter 44, it says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdal and at Telphenes and at Noph and in the country of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I brought upon Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah, Behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them. Well, God begins as he's reaching out to the people in Egypt, and he's simply telling them the road they're on. A lot of times when we read about the judgments of God, we, we think, wow, man, God's so harsh and he's so hard. Listen, for 60 years he's been begging these people to return to him, and for 60 years they've been slapping away the hand. And here, even at the end, he tells them, the road you're on leads to a cliff. And if you continue driving down that road with reckless abandon, you will go off. The bridge is out. There's no salvation on that road. There is only death. God's just telling them the truth. We call that judgment. And sometimes today, when we share the truth... With people about the road they're on, they say things like, don't judge me, brother. Listen, I ain't judging you. I've been on the road. I know what's at the end. <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm warning you. Where the path you're on takes you. And that's what the Lord's saying. He says, look at Jerusalem. You guys just left there. There's nothing Nebuchadnezzar drove a plow through it. There's nothing there. Busted up stone, piles of rock, rubble. No homes left. When Nehemiah comes back, he's got to chase the jackals out so he can be able to rebuild. There's nothing there. And then the Lord tells him why there's nothing there, why there's no city, why there's only ruins. Listen. He says, because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and serve other gods whom they did not know, they, nor you, nor your fathers. Oh, you see, God judged them because they served other gods. No, he didn't. God said, if you want to serve other gods, then I'm not saving you. Pray to them. 
You understand the difference? God said to them, you're worshiping and, 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 and giving your love and allegiance, which is something that God wants from us, that we would love him with our whole heart, undivided heart, totally given to him. He says, you're loving other gods, just like a, a husband or wife whose, whose spouse is cheating. And if that spouse was to come to them and say, listen, you've given all your love to this other person. Don't come to me anymore. Well, in humanistic terms, we say, well, yeah, of course. What a dirty, rotten, no good. But then when we turn around and we talk about God, we say, well, God's just judging. He's just slaying people right and left. He's doing, no, he's not. He's saying, you left me. So pray to your other gods to save you. And when they did, no help came. And to those who would surrender, God gave him a future. And to those who would not, they chose their road. And their road led to hell. And that's just a reality. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God does not send a soul. They choose it to the last man. The same things they said to Jesus. We will not have this man rule over us. When Pilate said, shall I kill your king? We have no king but Caesar. He's not our king. We will not have him rule over us. I will save myself. 1933, a bunch of the leading minds really in the, the world got together and they had a, one of their powwows they like to have. <laughs> and they developed in 1933 something called the Humanist Manifesto. And the Humanist Manifesto in essence says this as their primary statement of faith. There is no God, we must save ourselves. When they're making their choice. Their choice says, we won't have this man rule over us. The road they're on only goes one place. The road they're on goes to destruction. It goes to hell and God didn't send them. They chose. And that's what he's laying out for them in their history lesson. Think about what happened in Jerusalem. God told them at least four times, if you stop fighting, nobody has to die. If you stop fighting, Nebuchadnezzar will just take you. He's gonna, you'll have a good life. You can live. You can have families. You have a chance. You can have a future. If you just stop. Just stop. Please, just stop. God said it to them. And they said, no, that's not what God said. Are we any different? We don't have Jeremiah running around in our streets. We could use one. But we have him here. We have him right here. And we can open him up and we can say, hey, here's what the word of God has to say. Way back in Deuteronomy, man, before they ever came to the land, the Lord set before him blessing and cursing, life and death. 
He said, there's two roads you can go on. You know, there's a, a, a band that sang a song like that. Became the most popular song ever. A secular song. I don't know about every song in the world, but the stairway to heaven. There's two paths you can go by. But then they preach, there's always time to change the road you're on. It's not necessarily true. But it's interesting. When we look at that song, not that I want to preach about that song, but when we look, about it, when we look at a song, listen, the, the woman they sing about in the song Stairway to Heaven is the woman that we're going to read about that the children of Israel would not leave to be with God. It's the same woman. Yes, ma'am. Phil Collins did it? Oh, did he? Oh, that's pretty cool. I'll have to check it out. Well, listen, let's meet the woman. Here's what they say. In verse 4, However, I have sent to you all my servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. So he says, listen, I've sent them. My prophets have come. My prophets have come and shared with you. When it says rising early in the morning, it means God doesn't wait till the last minute to send us his prophet or to give us his word. He says, rising up early, man. I got them prophets coming. At the same time, you had Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and like four other ones. I want to say, but I can't remember who they all are. I have to think about it. But he, they were all at the same time. Bam, 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 bam. Just reaching out with a word. Ezekiel and Daniel were in Babylon. Jeremiah back in Jerusalem. And, and they're doing this work. He's giving them the word. But they did not listen. But not only did they not listen, listen, or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness. It doesn't mean that they didn't believe. It means they were unwilling to even hear what, what he had to say. But there's people like that today who, as soon as you begin to talk about the Bible, it's like, oh, that's I don't want to incline my ear to hear. They're still held responsible by God. Because they had the opportunity and they, and they rejected it. But nonetheless, that was their problem. They wouldn't incline their ear or listen. <laughs> but they, they wanted, their desire was to burn incense to other gods. So the Lord says in verse 6, So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. And they're wasted and desolate as it is this day. Now therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel... Why do you commit this great evil? What's he say? Why do you commit this great evil against yourself? Why well, they're not hurting God? They're destroying themselves. It's a it's a choice of self destruction. He says, "Why why would you do this to hurt yourself? To to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant." Out of Judah, leaving none to remain. Why would you die to the last man? Why will you choose us? Why will you hurt yourself this way? This is, a, this is a cry of a God who loves his people and his people who won't listen. Why do you hurt yourself? If you ever raised kids, you probably said that at one time or another. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you making those choices? 
In verse 8 he says, In that you provoke me to wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach among all the nations of the earth. So they ran to Egypt, first said they wanted to do what God wanted, and now we find out they're worshiping other gods. We're going to be introduced to that God. The God, or goddess's name, is Ashtart, or Ashtaroth, or Ishtar, all the same goddess. Ishtar is the name from which we get the celebration Easter today. Same one. They're burning incense to this goddess. In verse 9 it says, he says, Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, and the wickedness of their wives? <laughs> your own wickedness and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. Have you forgotten? You were on this road. You were worshiping this God. And look what happened. Have you forgotten? Do you forget where this road takes you? Do you forget the destination that's coming? Verse 10, it says, They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared. They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you or your fathers. They have not been humbled, nor do they fear. I don't know there's a better description of a lot of our world today than that. They claim we will save ourselves. But there is no salvation in any other name than the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. In verse 11 he says, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I set my face against you for catastrophe. And for cutting off all Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go to the land of Egypt to dwell there. And they will all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They'll be consumed by the sword and by the famine. They will die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by the famine. And they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem. By the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. So that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there will escape or survive unless they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those who escape. Man, when we look at this, it's so easy to focus on, on all the other things. But here's what I want you to see. God's saying, listen, he's saying the same thing. If you stay here, you're going to die. Every man, from the least to the greatest. But if you leave, you'll live. My question is, so whose responsibility is it if they die? God said, if you stay, you'll die. If you live, if you leave, you'll live. Go back to Judah. There's nothing in Judah. Well, it's hard living. It's hard life. 
Isn't it kind of the way it is in, in our Christian walk? I always hate when people say, give your life to Christ and all your problems will be solved. I don't know about that. That's not what Jesus said. Paul would write, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said that a servant is not greater than his master. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. There's going to be trouble, problems, issues, but the promise is God will be with you and you will survive. And it's the only way to live. With him, doesn't mean it's all going to be smooth, but it will all be good. Doesn't mean it'll all be easy, but it'll all be good to give you a future, to give you hope, to be where God wants us to be. So scripture goes on to say then in verse 15, so then all the men, now this is the answer of the families in Egypt, all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt in Pathros answered Jeremiah and said, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. Jeremiah's last message. Nobody came forward. Nobody got saved. Nobody changed their direction. But he gave it anyway to the people he loved. And we know he loved them because he gave it to them. He could have dwelt with uh, the Babylonians. The Babylonians said, Jeremiah, man, just come with us. And Jeremiah said, nope. All those people going to Babylon are going to be okay. But these knuckleheads down here, they're not going to be okay. So I'm going to keep the word of the Lord with them as long as I can. And their answer to the word of the Lord, we will not listen to you. We're not going to listen. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven. To pour out drink offerings to her. Just as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings, our princes. In the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven. And pouring out our drink offerings to her. We have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The queen of heaven, Ashtaroth, Ishtar. Astart, the the god of for, goddess, excuse me, of fertility, cult that has existed since the days of the Tower of Babel, and continued all the way through. The woman in heaven. Well, there are people even today who make the mistake of worshiping the Queen of Heaven. They'll even do it in the, in the concept that it's godly. Well, the queen of heaven is really the, the mother of God. And they take a woman who's to be blessed among all women 
they elevate her to the ability to save. And it has its roots with Ishtar, Ashtaroth, and Astart, the same goddess. They put their trust in her. And when God says, here's how you can live, they say, no, man, when we stop doing these things with her, that's when all this stuff happened. Really? That's, that's not what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says they were worshiping her all along and God said, you cry out to her to save you. And she didn't. But now they're going to sell their souls. In fact, you read about her, I think the first time in Jeremiah chapter 7, somewhere around 17, the queen of heaven. When we were with her, we were well off and we saw no trouble. The women also said, and when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? So the families were all about this worship. The husbands knew it and were okay with it. The wives were a part of it. It was, if you will, for lack of a better term today, a feminist movement in that day. Worshiping the goddess of fertility on her altar, some still worship today. Well, they go by different names today. The, the, the cult of Wicca is, uh, is a goddess. But the same one. Or the worship of Sophia, which is the Greek word for Wisdom. Another goddess of some liberal churches have turned toward. Still the battle today. There's two paths you can go by. The Lord said one leads to life and one leads to death. We get to choose. No one will make the choice for you. If you choose wrong, it was your choice that sent you where you're going. Not somebody else's. It's not somebody else's problem. It's it's your problem. So Jeremiah spoke to all the people. The men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer. And he says... The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings, your princes, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them and did it not come into his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doing and because of the abominations that you committed. Therefore your land is desolation and astonishment and a curse and without an inhabitant as it is this day. Because you burned incense... Because you sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law or his statutes or his testimonies, therefore this calamity has happened to you as at this day. You chose your path and the path led to the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the nation. It's going to lead there again. 
Nehemiah, Ezra, and Nehemiah are going to come out and rebuild Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple. A little bit later, Herod the Great is going to come on the scene and remodel the temple. And a little while later, roughly 483 years from the rebuilding of Jerusalem, Jesus is going to walk into the city. The people are going to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on the day Daniel prophesies in Daniel chapter 9. He's going to walk in. He's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to drive out the money changers. He's going to say, my house is a house of prayer. But at the end of chapter 23 in the book of Matthew, he's going to say to them, see, your house is left to you desolate. Your house. Not my house anymore. I'm leaving. I'm two days from the cross. Two days, you're going to crucify me. You're going to hold an illegal trial so that you can ramrod the whole deal and make it happen. By the time most people are up and busy about their day, Jesus will already be on the cross. Already be dying for the sins of the world. And already be saying, the road that you have chosen leads to destruction. When you see armies encamped around you, the Lord would say in the Gospel of Luke chapter 21, know that the destruction of the city is at hand. Forty years later, the armies came. And for 2,000 years, there was no Israel. And there still is no temple. Over and over again, the nation of Israel chooses the wrong path. But before we're too hard on them, how many times have we? How many times have we chose the road to destruction rather than the road to life? How many times has God given us a second chance or third or fourth truly as often as we're willing to repent the Lord will extend his hand of salvation do his work that's the beauty behind it all and as I look at Jeremiah I can't help but admire Jeremiah the people he ministers to are the people who kill him Sometime after Jeremiah 44, they stone him. They get tired of listening to him. And they kill the prophet. But it doesn't stop the word. It doesn't stop what God said from coming to pass. Verse 24 says, Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people, to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah 
in the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. There comes a a time in every man or woman's life where the choice they make is the last choice they get. We may reject the word of the Lord a handful of times before we come to Him. But every time we reject, we're one step closer to the final choice. And that was theirs. God said... I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm done. You'll never say my name again. See, they've turned their heart so fiercely against the Lord that they've made their choice. Well, Jesus put it to him like this. He said, Every sin committed by men will be forgiven except... For the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. The idea behind the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the utter rejection of God. There comes a point where a man makes the choice he makes and God holds him to it. Pharaoh did it. The people of Judah and Egypt do it. You're never going to say my name again. They're going to hope in and trust in the queen of heaven. And she cannot save. (coughs) He says in verse 27, Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. I want you to think about that. That's the opposite of Jeremiah 29.11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good, and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now he says... To these who have rejected him, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. The road you're on does not lead to anything good. And that's what the Lord's telling them. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt will be consumed by the sword or famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escape the sword will return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah. And all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. The Lord establishes a remnant, a small group who will tell the story back in Israel to bring the truth of what happened. Did the Queen of Heaven save? They'll be able to to share the truth. God, listen, throughout Scripture always has a remnant, a handful, a few, sometimes as few as one. But He'll always have a remnant that believe, that trust, that return, that go to Him. And it's no different here in Judah. There's a small number, a small number here in the words of, of Jeremiah who are going to return, who are going to come back. But keep in mind, when I say, when the Bible says small number, it does not mean, you know, a company. Maybe it was a handful. Maybe it was two. Maybe it was one. Somebody brought the story of what happened to all the people that stayed in Egypt. 
And the Lord says, this will be a sign to you that I will punish you in this place that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, I will give Pharaoh Hophrah, king of Egypt, to the hands of his enemies and to the hands of those who seek his life. Like I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the enemy who sought his life. Jeremiah says to them, I just love, I just love the extent that God goes to to reach a person. All right, my name's never going to be named among you again. But then still, he says, there's going to be a remnant and this will be a sign to you. Now, he's not talking to those who have hardened their hearts. He's not talking to those who have made their choice. Their choice is set. They're done. But he knows even in that group, there's people who are just listening to what everybody else is saying. And he says to the remnant, to those whose heart hasn't totally made the turn, let me say this. There's a sign that you'll know I'm telling the truth. Pharaoh Hophra used to say from his throne, it would take a God to dethrone me. Well, he was right. It took the God of Israel, but he dethrones him. The God of Israel, one of his underlings, one of Hophra's, you know, under, under his command or whatever in his monarchy, is going to rise up against him, sell him out, and dethrone him. And he's going to go to Nebuchadnezzar, just like the kings back in, in Judah had done, all the while God was saying, leave. Just go to Babylon. It'll be okay. There's life there. It's going to happen the same way. And that small number, that small, tiny group of people who had not committed their eternal soul to the Queen of Heaven, when they saw that sign, they're going to walk out. But the opportunity for salvation was so broad that every one of those people had the same chance. Every person on on the face of the earth has the same opportunity to receive the truth, to put their trust in the Lord. To give their lives to God. Everyone has the same opportunity. Some will make that choice. The moment they hear it, man, that's what they want. Others will, will make the opposite choice the moment they hear it. And there will be the remnant. That group sitting in the middle. Trying to decide who they are. Some of them will see the signs, and some of them won't. But the opportunity is the same for everybody. That's why the scriptures declare today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Don't wait. 
Make the choice. Live the life God's calling us to live. Look at your circumstance. You may look at your life and you might say, Oh my gosh, I'm living in bondage. My life is chaos. It's garbage. It's all messed up. Surely God wants to take me out of this. (laughs) Don't count on it. You might, like Jeremiah, be in just the right place to be able to give just the right word to just the right person to change their eternal state. And that was so valuable to Jeremiah that he died there. It blows me away knowing when Jeremiah makes that choice to go to Egypt, he knows he's going to die. And he goes anyway. I mean, how, many, how many times do we hear that story of, of missionaries? We talk about the ones in, uh, in Bolivia in 1958, Jim Elliott and the crew that was with him who all died uh, at the hands of the Aka Indians. And then their wives continue to minister and, and the entire tribe gets saved because those five men were willing to sacrifice their lives. And I'm reminded of what Edward Amaya shared with us in that, I'm, I hope I never forget that phrase, but the phrase that, that, that they tell to the chaplains, and that is, your goal is not to save yourself. And that should be ours too. My job's not to save me or save what I got or hold on to what I have. When I gave my life to Christ, I said, without you, my life has no meaning. With you, it has. So it's not about what will you do for me when I give myself to you. That isn't it. So what can I do for you? I'll go where you send me. What you want me to do, I'll do. The rock you want me to carry, I'll carry. But I'm not carrying it for me. I'm carrying it for you. The stuff that I do is for you. It's not an attitude of manipulation that says... Well, I'm going to read my Bible and pray and I'm going to be good and God's got to do something for me in return. He did it. It's already done. And if you receive that, if you put your faith and trust in that, then what naturally occurs in the life of a believer is the laying down of my life for his He said, if you would come after me, you must, what, deny yourself, take up your cross. The cross is not that pretty little thing we hang around our neck. The cross is an implement of destruction. Destroy me. I must decrease. He must increase. I'm gone. He lives through me. I become his hands. I become his feet. I give all that up. There's nothing I wouldn't give for him and if there have been things I wouldn't give for him he takes them 
Yeah, watch out for them Harleys. But there's none of that. Honestly, none of that. There's nothing I wouldn't give up for him. Nothing. Not a person in my family. Not a person I love dearly. I love my wife and my kids. My wife and my kids are his. They're not mine. We, we just, we just got to get to that place. We got to come to that place where we can let it go into the hands of God. Because that's the only place it's going to find its fulfillment. My kids are better in the hands of God than they were ever in my hands. Ever. Everyone's better in his hands. We got to be able to let him go. Release him to him. And let God do his perfect work. Tonight as we just uh, close out, we're going to just have a quiet time before the Lord. A time of prayer. The Lord lays something on your heart to share, to pray. I invite you to pray. Um, we're just going to seek him for the final moments. And then we'll close out in prayer and, and go our way. You got to bail. That's cool. I get it. If you're able to stay, stay and join us in one accord as we seek the Lord's face. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just seek you. God, we ask that you would move in this place. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord, and we do pray, God, that we would make the choice that matters. We would choose to give our lives to you wholly and completely, to hold nothing back. That you might be glorified and magnified in our lives. Father, we lay before you our hurts and our hang-ups. Habits that we have in our life. The hassles that we're going through. We bring all those things to you because they're yours. You took me lock, stock, and barrel. Everything I am. Everything I'll ever be. Everything I've ever been. And you said you would make me a new creation. So you're not afraid of any of it. You're not afraid of my garbage. You're not afraid of my trash. You're not afraid of my stuff. You take it all. And then you make me into your image. Bit by bit by bit. Not always a pleasant process, but... It is always good. So, Lord, I thank you. And I thank you for the promise that says, What I have begun in you, I will finish. I will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Father, we ask that you would do your work in and through us, that we would be your hands and feet, willing to go, willing to speak, willing to share, even if the people we talk to are going to stone us after. That we would bring the truth of who you are to the world, going to all nations, making disciples of all men, fulfilling the commission that you've given us. That you, Lord God, might be glorified 
in everything we do.